I want to read some statistics from the article I started out with. Mm. This is uh, from May 31st, CBS. And this, and then uh, these numbers shocked me because, you know, like you said at the beginning of the show, when people think of the United States, they don't think of a place where this stuff happens. So where people go hungry. Exactly. Yeah. This is from Propel. 44% of respondents, and I think this is Florida, mm. reported skipping meals in the last month. So that's insane. But you know, half of Americans are skipping meals. Jason, when like people like me from, you know, living outside the US hear this, we think that, oh, maybe they are on a diet. <laughs> Seriously, they don't they don't mean that in the study. This we, is like we, we, Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason, and today with me is Bebe. Oh my gosh, that was like one second. <laughs> Hi, Jason. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Hunger is on the rise in the USA. Two new surveys of Americans by Propel and Greater Foster Food Bank show hunger has reached historic heights in America this year. An article on May 31st on CBS says, quote, the U.S. is facing unprecedented rise in food insecurity and that, quote, one in three households with children reporting that their children were hungry, end quote. Let's take a look at hunger in the U.S. and around the world. What do you think, baby? Um, do you know how bizarre that sounds, Jason, that, you know, mm-hmm. linking the word hunger with the United States? Because when we talk about hunger, we think of a, a think of it as a third world issue, right? People used to think about uh, think of China, and then I guess now people would think of um, I guess still Africa, but not the U.S. So what's going on? Can you give us a little bit more information? Well, the article itself, which is I got from Yahoo, but it's originally from CBS by Amy Peachy, Wednesday, May thirty first, twenty twenty three, says that. Anti-hunger advocates say the U.S. is facing the uh, rise in its persistently high inflation in the grocery aisle and cuts in the food stamp program earlier this year, which are leading to it. Okay, so my thinking is a lot of the food crisis we're talking about, both in the U.S. and also globally, it's not just about food. Mm -hmm. It's actually about prices. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because when when we think about uh, hunger and food crisis, we think, oh, there is a lack of food. Mm. At least that's how I thought about it. Mm -hmm. But after, you know, I've been listening to the news in this regard, um, I realized that it's it's not. It's about the distribution of food. There is enough food. Mm -hmm. It's just how it's distributed. And also, that's why, I mean, you've been in China. I don't know if you've noticed how in the past, at least at past two years, the country has been talking, stressing more about food security. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a kind of a new thing because it has not been a problem for a long time. I mean, China is in China. Yes, China has been stressing, at least in the past few years. First of all, self-sufficiency, exactly self-sufficiency and also um, just food security, like make sure that uh, we have enough uh, you know, healthy food to distribute, uh, to distribute for, like for everybody. And that's also something new because, you know, prior to this, especially prior to COVID, we don't really talk about, you know, food anymore, right? 
um, there, there were issues about mm. wasting food, like too many uh, leftovers, uh, too many banquets. People are just ordering too much, wasting too much. We kind of knew it, but it was not on like national news. But in the past few years. Well, can I add to that? Sure. I watched a couple documentaries. I don't want to interrupt. I, I like your flow and I want to see where you're going. Mm. But there, it turns out that wasn't just the banquet style ordering too much food to show your opulence. There was a lot of food waste during that time, during the crackdown on food waste and probably still mm. is in the distribution networks, getting food from the farm to the grocer mm-hmm. and the grocer and how they maintained the food. So a lot of food, like 30% of food waste comes in the distribution network, getting food from the farm to the grocer because there's a lack of refrigeration mm. in, in cars that deliver food and trucking and logistics. So a huge part of China's crackdown on food waste wasn't just people eating, you know, ordering too much, throwing away too much Mm. it's also trucking needs to be more efficient modernized and made more efficient to make sure that the maximum amount of food yields that are coming from the countryside into the cities can reach there intact and also uh during the uh covid there was another problem like when people feel panic when people think oh you know uh, we're not going to get enough food or water like before some crisis or right after some crisis then everybody rushes to the supermarket and they store up so much food um, and then they end up wasting it, especially with vegetables. So that could be another problem. If in the future there is an actual like food crisis, when people feel like they may not be able to get enough food or prices are going to hike up uh, dramatically at some point in the future, then people are going to do the same thing, right? And we are going to get, what I guess, 200 pounds of rice somewhere, you know, and canned food and things like that. So, and, you know, in the past uh, year or two, I've also been hearing in the news in China, it's warning people not to harvest wheat or other products too early. I think there is a tradition in China um, of eating like green wheat grains. Like before it's completely ripe. Why? And when it's still green and tender, I've never had it, but some people say, you know, it's... it's a, oh, it's like a delicacy. Something like that. It, it tastes refreshing and it's just a chewy, you know, it's before the grains are hardened and it's still like uh, more, I guess, more moist. I'm just guessing now. <laughs> but this year, um, I think there has been warnings not to harvest because you harvest less. It's before they are fully grown. So basically you're harvesting less food, but some people are selling them because they can get a better price. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just another feed into the whole food insecurity idea, and which is also new in, in China. Like for my generation mm-hmm. growing up, food was never really a concern. But now it's not like pe- we are running out of food, mm-hmm. but just in cases that some huge crisis internationally, mm-hmm. like food prices go up, now we will have enough uh, to feed the population. You know, it's not new. This is interesting. It is it's something that comes back around every year or two in the news cycle where people identify that there are people in America that are going hungry and the data goes up and down. Since I've been a a little boy, I remember hearing about it. I was part of an organization myself around the ages of 18 and 19 in Modesto, California. I was at a branch called Food Not Bombs, which is an anti-war organization, Mm. but it's just that in name, mostly. The primary goal Mm. of the organization is to feed the 
homeless. So we were mostly a bunch of kids, you know, a bunch of 18 to 25 year old, uh, mostly men. And we would go to grocery stores and go to restaurants and ask them for food that was nearly expiring, about to go expiring in the next mm. few weeks. They would donate food to us that they didn't use, weren't going to use. It's like, you know, sometimes it was donuts, whatever that they were going. They cannot give away for free to people, to even their employees sometimes because they're mm. worried about the cost. Mm. of the food itself going down, but they would give it to us. So the goal of Food Not Bombs it was to go down to a po- local park in downtown Modesto in my local branch. Mm. We would have cooked the food or prepare it or prepare it there or distribute it and pass this out to homeless people. Mm. Now, obviously, these articles that we're reading are talking about families and their kids and they're at home and they are how homed people. They are not homeless. Mm. But this is back then, too. I remember reading statistics growing up that Mm. people were suffering from uh, hunger in the United States. What's happened now is it's increased dramatically. According to the article, two two major issues are playing into this. Mm -hmm. One of them is food stamp programs, because Mm. food stamp programs have been a long enemy of one of the two big parties. I don't Mm. want I'm not trying to point fingers here. The purpose is not to accuse a party of a problem. The purpose is to identify the problem. Right. But without food stamps, a lot of people with less access after a lot of inflation after wages have been stagnant against growth in the United States for decades, a lot more people are going hungry. And a lot of these people mm. are children. So this is an accelerating, a growing problem that is affecting so, children. I mean, obviously, adults adults shouldn't go hungry either, but it's also affecting you know, our most vulnerable people. So I'm just making things clear. So it's not really food shortage. It's yeah. mainly because prices have gone up so much so that That's a lot right. more people can't afford it. And also, right. I heard there's, there's a cut to the food stamp program, or there's a, some, I think there's like a, a raised... Um, standard for being included in the program, something like that? Like, there's a change to the age limit. Can you explain that a little bit? I think you know more about it. I actually don't know the exact reason that food stamp program has been cut. Usually these bills that they pass that are related to these issues, Mm. because I read a a bill recently having to do with uh, something else. It was called 4125. The bill was bigger than like 10 books put together. Oh, gosh. So when Congress passes these bills, they deliberately make it like... Unreadable. Impossible. Yeah, unreadable for most people. And it is so mammoth that ordinary people can't be part of the lawmaking process. Mm. So for me to read one bill on one topic, (laughs) it took me like a couple of days. So like most people just can't pop in and read the food stamp program bill. You know, it's an impossibility. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. In one of these articles, it says SNAP, S-N-A-P, already includes worker requirements for low-income people ages 18 to 49 who are able-bodied and without dependents. Under the deal, that age limit would be raised to 54 years old, which could hurt older workers without a stable income. Um, So there's some tweaks to the program so that less people are covered in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I feel like talking about food insecurity or food crisis, Mm -hmm. it's like poking at a beehive Mm -hmm. because it's not just an issue uh, in the U.S. 
you know, you know how weird that sounds. <laughs> Food crisis is a problem in the U.S. It's going to be more of a global problem. I'm not too sure how much you are aware of it, but I hear about it in the news here. As we were talking about how you know in China the government has been getting ready for this crisis, either increased food or food production decrease due to various reasons. For the few reasons I can think of, first of all, inequality that we we talked a little bit about it. When food is being treated as a commodity rather than just food, then the purpose is no longer to feed more people, to feed everybody, but the purpose becomes、uh, to make more money. Right. Think of the four major、um, food、uh, companies. You know, for them, food is their is their resources for generating income. Now, when we think of food, we think of、uh, that as something to feed ourselves, right? So we don't go hungry, and so that、um, you know they taste good.、Um, but for these companies who control so much of the world、uh, food resources. These are products, so a little bit like what, like、um, vaccines and medicine during、uh, COVID. You know, if they're all controlled by private companies, then they are things that they can use to make profit instead of things to help people stay healthy. So that's that's one. Well, I think it's actually a two-sided. You have to look at it from two sides because that is true, and I've heard these arguments, and I've made、mm. these arguments, like Monsanto and these gigantic companies. They do take the patent on certain、Seeds. kinds、yeah. of corn,、mm. for example. But one of the things that you have to look at the advantage and the purpose, because there is a purpose to to this madness, and they are able to produce higher yields when they want to,、mm. which is you know they do want. You're right; they do want to suppress the market. They do want to keep food prices going up because they do make an enormous amount of profit. But what they are able to do are you know if you look at food. The same natural versions of food from a hundred years ago, like corn. It doesn't look like corn today. It's the size of your pinky finger, and it's multiple colors, and there are multiple strains, and it doesn't feed like it's not an entire meal. But today, thanks to genetic engineering and slicing and all these other things, they can make、mm. corn, you know, as big as a watermelon used to be. Right, right. And you can eat these giant corn. It could, it could theoretically be an entire meal. You're talking about. Genetic engineering. I'm not just、yeah. talking about genetic engineering. That is a, a subtext to a larger argument that I'm making. That these companies are actually able to improve the outcomes of yields when they want to. Obviously,、right. they're not using it for the betterment of mankind. They're using this technology for the betterment of their pocketbooks. That, but they are able to increase yields and produce more food if they theoretically wanted to.、Mm -hmm. But I mean, even in the 1980s, people were already saying it's not about about how much food there is in the world. It's about the distribution of food. This is an also an old argument because at that time, most of the starvation, most of the hunger issues were taking place in the developed world, underdeveloped world. What they used to call third world countries or the global south,、mm. and in these countries they were simply, you know, not getting enough calories. But now it's starting to affect developed countries like the UK,、mm. like the United States, because of the reasons that you mentioned. Because companies are 
out for profit. Yeah, and the four major uh, international companies in food that I was talking about, they include uh, ADM. You, do you have you heard of it? Archer, Daniels, mm-hmm. yeah. Miltland, and also Bungie, mm-hmm. if I'm spelling it right, mm-hmm. and also Lewis de um, LDC, mm-hmm. and also Cargill. Mm-hmm. So these are like the four major, and they control a lot of. Just imagine this: if someday there is a food shortage, which I think there will be, compared to what we've had before, uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk about the reasons later on, the reasons I know of. Uh, think about that day, mm-hmm. and then these companies. They will be making huge profits. They will be the ones who, you know, who will benefit. And I don't know if you've heard of the saying by um, Dr. Henry Kissinger. Which saying? I think he once said, control oil and you control nations, control food and you control the people. Mm basically the whole humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if you think of it as, you know, from the perspective of uh, profit making and from control, it's quite scary, mm-hmm. right? We've all experienced uh, tension and scarcity when it comes to oil and the prices go up and down like crazy. Mm-hmm. But we have not thought much about food because there it seems like there have been plenty but if people use it as a way to really control people mm-hmm. um, to maintain their global market, it's quite crazy. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing um, we talked about is inequality, how food is distributed. And another reason that's relatively new is the Ukraine war. And I'm sure you know how how important Ukraine and Russia are to food production. Mm-hmm. I know that they are called bread baskets. Mm-hmm at least for Europe, and and the war has severely disrupted how, like, the distribution network Mm -hmm. and also production Mm -hmm. of uh, wheat and other, like, maize and other products Mm -hmm. um, in Ukraine. And also the recent destruction, the collapse of the dam, which flooded Mm -hmm. large areas of uh, villages, of uh, fields Mm -hmm. uh, for producing food, Mm -hmm. and also that um, the destruction of one of the pipes um, for, I think it's for aluminum. No, it's for ammonium, mm-hmm. which is used for making fertilizer. So putting, you know, all these pictures together, of course, you know, people are feel are going to feel insecure about um, food production in the future. So that's another thing, Ukraine war. And the third reason is uh, climate change. So, um, for example, in South America, the major three major agriculture producers like Brazil, Argentina and Paraguay, mm-hmm. they've suffered from prolonged droughts and with very low water levels in their main rivers. And I think this was uh, at least in the past two years. I'm not too sure about the situation in 2023. And these are huge exporters of food. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to they have been producing less. But here uh, in one of the articles that was published in 20, like over 10 years ago, it quoted um, a quote by Chomsky. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Chomsky pointed out, in both old and new world orders, the central goal has pivoted around the issue of control. And he said, Control of the population is the major task of any state Mm. that is dominated by particular sectors of the domestic society Mm. and therefore functions primarily in their interest. And so these particular sectors, as referred to, can be the minority elite, right? For example, these four major international uh, food companies Mm. based in the U.S., who pursue controlling strategies to engineer, I'm just reading from this document, to engineer nation and international affairs in line with their aims. And these aims are for the most part based on greed and power and the need to keep the masses contented. Mm. 
and also, I guess, under control. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're just going wild and thinking um, about the world. I mean, this could be right. If you put all the pieces together. See, what Chomsky does is he, he these are the obvious facts. These are not this is not a conspiracy, right? This is the reality that the capitalist system is developed and engineered specifically to maximize profits where corporations are people. And so what Chomsky isn't looking at like uh, any, you know, trying to connect the dots kind of like insanity. It's real. And he got most of those ideas from Foucault, by the way, and they were they were close friends Mm. about state state power and about capitalism. The reality is if you're a corporate CEO, you're sitting on a board and you're like, okay, you know, what we should do is not grow corn on these million acres. That'll really drive up the price of corn, guys, right? Yay. Okay. So they don't. Then the price of corn rises and they can increase the price of corn. And then the next year they can grow as much corn as they want, but the price stays high. Mm. These are realities of very wealthy people who are in charge of the system, who are obviously actually profiteering off of inflation. And we have seen the statistic did some studies also that shows that inflation, that corporate profits were exceeding inflation so that inflation was being driven in a lot of sectors Mm -hmm. by deliberate corporate greed. So inflation didn't have to be this bad. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, I agree with you 100% that there is a global network of very wealthy capitalists who are trying to make the price of food go up so that they can increase the amount of money that they are making. 100%. I I hope they're not coming after us. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, so I I found the little bit of information. I found some information about uh, market share of Russia and Ukraine in agriculture. So here it says together in 2020, Russia and Ukraine account for night Russia and Ukraine account for 72.7% of global trade in sunflower oil mm. and seeds mm. and 34.1% of global trade in wheat. About 12% of world's total caloric commerce is exported by Russia and Ukraine. Mm. And so the Ukraine war will uh, affects Europe and also Africa the most because I think they um, they're more dependent upon, you know, on these exports from Ukraine. And regarding cereals, the contribution of Russia and Ukraine to the global supply is notably substantial for barley, wheat and maize. And between 2016 and 2020, the nation, the two nations accounted for 19 percent, 40 percent and 4 percent of the global production for all of these. Mm -hmm. And also, I think Ukraine is a major exporter. I think it's the top, actually, global exporter for fertilizer. Mm -hmm. If they can't export as much fertilizer, it's going to influence yield. And I think what we're talking about are going to make people nervous. (laughs) So your contention, if I understand correct, your point that you're trying to drive home here is that one of the contributing reasons to the West maintaining, I guess Russia and the West, maintaining this ongoing war is to deprive people of calories so that they can drive up the cost of food produced elsewhere. Is that right? Or control. But you're making this sound too obvious, Jason. <laughs> We're talking about food scarcity and you're you're ta- continuing to talk right. about the Ukraine war. So I'm just trying to like underline the uh, goal of your dissertation. This couple pieces, right, that I, uh, the couple reasons that I mentioned, mm. right? Uh, Ukraine war, climate change, contamination in um, food production uh, areas in the U.S. These all contribute to food, future food shortages. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's pretty real. And. But who is behind all this? I can't point any fingers. I think people, you know, can think about it themselves. I did some research on the four major 
food companies, the four that I mentioned earlier, the three steps that they took um, to gain market, to gain market share and uh, to control prices and also um, to have the say on genetic engineering, like when it comes to seeds. Are you interested? Or oh, go ahead. I'm sure. I, I'm I'm down. Bebe has like a book that she wants to. I'm 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 listening. I'm all ears. All right. So that's this good. article it started with I'm shifting paper. So if you hear sound of paper, that's just uh, my printout. It's the stacks of books she's been reading. <laughs> I I have terrible memory. Like I can't remember anything. I have to read. So this article actually started uh, with India, and it says so over the past so, you know, during the Ukraine war, India has been importing crude oil from Russia. Russia, and then, of course, selling them for a better price, right? Because it's so much cheaper to buy them from Russia. Mm. And it's also importing a lot of food. Um, when you don't really think of India as an importer of food, right? I, you I do? do? Well, you know, because they have... They're, they're 1.4 billion people. So, But they absolutely. have such uh, like they have such good resources for growing food. I think China's geographically bigger, but both have the same population. I would imagine both are mass importers. I know China, for a fact, imports an enormous amount of food from both the United States and Brazil. So I would, I would imagine India is also a mass importer. The problem with China when, it's come, when it comes to food production is that because of geography, um, there are a lot of like mountainous areas and there are like there are more like smaller plots of land mm. instead of like, say, in the U.S. where you have just, you know, the prairie it is just flat. Mm. You can grow so much food and also you can use economy of scale. Mm-hmm. Right. You can. I, I guess what the U.S. probably has the biggest farms in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. You can just like a small family could plot a huge area of land. Mm-hmm. It's harder to do that in a lot of the areas in, in China, mm-hmm. even if the, the area is agricultural uh, land, mm-hmm. because the plots are so much smaller. Mm-hmm. You've seen the rice terrains, right? Yeah. They, they carve out literally like tiny plots of land on the side of mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't use machinery. You can't use machinery. You can't even get them up uh, to the field. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's one problem. In China, the economy of scale can't be as high. But and also in India, they have uh, the the plains for mm-hmm. huge areas for growing food. But anyhow, mm-hmm. so this article starts with India importing food. They have, uh, as I mentioned, not just a lot of uh, agricultural land, but because of their climate, they can have three crops every year instead of just one or two. And also some smaller countries are starting to forbid the export of food. Really? That's fascinating. And also, uh, of course, prices of food in Europe, as you have heard, have gone up. Mm-hmm. So we have not seen this kind of um, insecurity when it comes to food. Now, the few ways that uh, U.S. has been, uh, I don't want to use the word control, but that's what I kind of, do you have a better word? This is, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure where you're, where you're going with this total argument yet. So, <laughs> Okay, the three steps of um, how... Uh, U.S. is, uh, I guess, maintaining its mm. influence around the world. I mean, it's influencing the mm-hmm. world through mm-hmm. the U.S. dollar, the petrol dollar, right? Oil and also food. Well, but people don't hear. I don't. Know, I, don't I don't think the petrodollar exists anymore. No, it's not that. It's not going to collapse that fast. I mean, it's starting to shift a little. I'm sure the dollar is fine, but the idea of the petrodollar is dead because Saudi Arabia trades in multiple currencies right. now. But okay, so let's shift to food. The three steps that the U.S. has taken. To to make sure that it has control of food, not just domestically, but also internationally. Uh, the first step is through, um, it's called agricultural intensification. And my idea is that it's, mm. um, 
the aggregating of farms. Because U.S. used to have lots of like mm. small farms, right? Think of at the beginning, right? People going to the West to get a plot of land, and they are, you know, they can farm for themselves. This is my five acres. Exactly, or well, fifty, <laughs> right, or more than that. Yeah. But by now, uh, most of uh, agricultural production has it has been concentrated in the four major food conglomerates. Mm -hmm. Am I saying this right? Conglomerates and the conglomerates, as uh, I've mentioned, and that process started uh, around the time that Nixon mm -hmm. uh, took off the dollar from gold. Um, so basically, now we have economy of scale, right? Uh, prices can go down because it's just so much more effective, so much more productive to produce food in the U.S. Yeah. So um, U.S. has the advantage of having um, large production and also low prices. Mm -hmm. And then they, the U.S. can use this to gain market around the world because, you know, it's few other countries can compete with this kind of uh, prices. Mm -hmm. So it gets a lot of market share. And at the same time, there is um, globalization when it comes to commerce, breaking down of barriers between countries when it comes to trade and also specialization. Let's say like some South American countries, they are good at producing, uh, let's say, meat or other fruit, for example, in Mexico. Yeah, Brazil is a huge cattle right. country. Uh, other countries may be like tropical fruits or sugar canes, right? Mm. So slowly, uh, the situation becomes a lot of these countries, they will specialize in growing, let's say, sugar cane, mm -hmm. right? They will grow less um, stable food, mm -hmm. like grains and wheat or barley, things like that. Mm -hmm. So they become more dependent on the United States for... Let's say soil beans and wheat and uh, these like major categories, mm -hmm. these fruit that everybody needs because they have been, you know, using their land to grow fruit, vegetables um, and sugarcane. So far, this particular aspect of your argument is just a description of globalization. Exactly. But the effect of that is more people, more countries become dependent on uh, these each other on each other and also on the US for basic staple food mm -hmm. like bread mm -hmm. you know wheat that used to make bread because they don't produce them uh, them as much anymore they've been using their land to produce other things mm -hmm. so that's the second step through uh, globalization through so-called free trade, mm -hmm. um, the U.S. has been able to dominate the market, gain more market share when it comes to the, some of the basics, food items. Mm -hmm. And then another aspect of that is uh, genetic engineering, especially for seeds. Mm -hmm. And the company you mentioned have before. Have you ever had California strawberries? Uh, I Here's the thing have. about genetic mm -hmm. engineering. They've spliced uh, California strawberries with uh, eel gene. No, what? Eel? No, no. E E L. The outcome. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Gosh. The outcome. Not all of them, but some brands. The outcome is strawberries that you can put in your fridge and don't go back for a month. <laughs> what does that have to do with eels? Hey, that's that increases food security. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I just know that that's how what they were able to do. Oh my but god. What's really neat about that is that increases food security because instead of buying strawberries if you like them for that month right you don't have to buy them once a week you just buy them and then just have them when you want you're okay. not going to go back and that makes jason very happy <laughs> hey they're not as tasty as as actual natural strawberries I, maybe they're getting better i don't know i know so um for in this article it's saying it's another think of it from the perspective of control mm -hmm. Right. Sure. Um, because they have like the Monsanto company mm -hmm. uh, you also mentioned, um, they produce seeds that can only be used once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the abilities they've developed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they have wonderful seeds, 
uh, quote unquote wonderful because sometimes we don't know. But you can uh, once you buy them, you have to buy them every year. Yeah. Because you can't grow your own seeds. Right. So a lot of uh, farmers they become dependent on this company. Absolutely. Um. Yes. yes. And so if you're putting all these together, you can see how. The United States has been trying to secure its position when it comes to um, food around the world. I don't know if you can say the United States. I think very wealthy farmers and scientists and CEOs and boards and corporations. I don't know if the United States, like government, is sitting around thinking about how to do this specifically because we haven't been able to. That because say you make sugar, I make corn, and we're not the United States. We could still trade, right? The things that the United States grows, there's nothing that the United States grows that isn't、mm. grown somewhere else. I don't know if if we can make the connection like like that to jump that big of a, a leap. Well, I'm just.、Um... You know, offering the few pieces of information, few pieces of the puzzle that I found. I agree with most of the piece of the puzzle that you outlined. I think those are absolutely true things. Yes, corporations they sell seeds that you become dependent on. They even sue other farmers when they accidentally crossbreed accidentally because it blows over into their farm, and now their farm's seeds are blended with the seeds that Monsanto made, and they sue them and take their livelihood, take their farms in some cases, and destroy small farmers in the United States. This is a story. That Americans know,、mm. and globalization absolutely does cause specialization, and you have to trade in, in, with other partners. And many countries around the world, this is also something that you argued, and it is also true, are looking at、mm -hmm. self-sufficiency, about creating food. Self-sufficiency and diversifying the the what is grown inside of their countries, and they're looking at new policies to do that.、Mm -hmm. But to say that there is like you know that the United States is specifically orchestrating like all of this to happen, it seems like it could also easily just be a whole lot of really bad policies that have gone awry and created a system where some elite. People in the United States are benefiting, and have created some of the circumstances leading to that. Whether the United States is an entity specifically orchestrated a global cabal to do so, is not something we can prove just based on these pieces. Yeah, it sounds too evil to be true, but you never know. Oh yeah. You're listening to the bridge. I think it's enough for us to realize the realities that we can confirm、mm. that hey, corporations are taking advantage of people. That food doesn't have to be this expensive.、Mm. That there are policies in place by multiple governments and organizations around the world that are leading to people going without food, and that we need we. Every country need to implement better policies to ensure that all people、right. get to eat. The United States did, in defense of your argument, they did vote against making food a human right. What do you mean in the United Nations? Making food there was a, a human vote. Right? Yeah, there was a vote in the United Nations at the General Assembly to make food a human right, and the United States was. It was like the United States and one other country said no. We're not going to vote for to make. It was every country against the United States and like one or two other countries. There's a、oh. common、uh, argument that people make online because the United States, in fact, has voted to not allow food to become a human right because then it would be responsible to, for example, provide、mm. all children free lunch meals and things like that, which the United States does not want to do. Some states are doing, some states are not doing that, and so some children are not. Able to eat at lunch in the United States in certain cities, towns, and states. It's so hard to imagine 
Like, I can't really. It's like listening to some made up story that <laughs> yeah. kids in the U.S. Um, are skipping meals. Like, do you know anybody in the U.S. nowadays? Personally, no. Part of the reason that I don't know anyone who is suffering is because California is one of these more socialist states where they do actually make sure that everyone who is suffering gets a better chance at eating and things like that. I want to read some statistics from the article I started out with. Mm. This is uh, from May 31st, CBS. And this and then uh, these numbers shocked me because, you know, like you said at the beginning of the show, when people think of the United States, they don't think of a place where this stuff happens. So where people go hungry. Exactly. Yeah. This is from Propel. 44% of respondents in, I think this is Florida, mm. reported skipping meals in the last month. So that's insane. But you know. Half of Americans are skipping meals? Jason, when like people like me from, you know, living outside the U.S. hear this, we think that, oh, maybe they are on a diet. <laughs> Seriously. They don't, they don't mean that in the study. This we, is like, we wouldn't associate this number with people who are skipping meals because they can't afford it. Right. But that's what you mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. They can't afford it. This is not like because they are overweight and they're trying to lose weight. It's because they don't have any food. Gosh. That's that's 44% percent had to skip a meal in the last month so that's pretty intense um <sighs> this is from another study found that 33 percent of people in massachusetts were food insecure and 36 percent of those uh, of those with children did not have enough food last year hmm. so it's very surprising this is from the propel study i'm thinking this is uh inspiring me quote unquote to think of something else sure. um Go ahead. the policy of uh in china you know how china in recent years have been talking a lot about the countryside mm -hmm. yeah and uh, because you know for decades it's all about modernization it's yeah. about becoming getting closer to what the west has uh attained economically mm -hmm. Sure. But in the past few years, more and more, we've been hearing about building up the countryside. Mm -hmm. And I'm just starting to understand this, Jason. Mm -hmm. Now, when times are hard, like hard as an economic crisis or like food insecurity that we're talking about in China, people can always go back to their countryside homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they have land, they have plots of land. So yeah. let's say things get so bad, there are wars going on, there are uh, climate change, there's food shortage. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I, my family, we can go back to our plot of land in Western province. And most Chinese people can find relatives or they still live. Most people still live in the countryside in China as modern as some metropolis seem to the outside world. Mm. So when times comes to that, they can still grow food, mm. you know, vegetables or grains, and they yeah. can raise chickens and pigs, mm. and they will survive. Yes. You know what I mean? But if everyone or most people are in cities, like the case in some, let's say, South American countries where they urbanized a little bit too fast uh, compared to the rate of their economic growth. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, they concentrate they live in cities, but in slums. Mm -hmm. They don't have land and they don't have other economic resources enough to maintain, you know, a stable standard of living. But in China, the farmers have land. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. if they don't have extra income, extra cash, they still have food to eat. Mm -hmm. And it's just starting now, like literally these days, I start to understand why the government has been stressing and have been devoting so much money, investing mm -hmm. so much money in the countryside. Hmm. So that people will always have enough to eat, will always have a home. Hmm. They won't be homeless in, in, in cities like in some other countries. 
Do you, do you get what I mean, Jason? Yeah, I also want to say something that I don't know if it's going to splice into your argument or not. Sure. So uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, because I don't remember the source on this. Mm. But I remember hearing that one of the driving factors in the last few years, last, I guess, decade, half decade, to growing urban populations and moving people out of the countryside into cities was so that they could take smaller plots of land and combine them so that, you know, modern machinery could have huge plots of land to till for various um, purposes to create food security. So, and I may be wrong, but I, I remember hearing that. So what your argument now is that we should have plots in the land to fall back on. I'm not sure if those two go together compatibly in my head, and I'm not sure where I'm missing well, a piece of information. Here in China, it's not they should, but they do. Mm. Like farmers have their land. Yeah. And I think when it comes to economy of scale, as I mentioned earlier, in some areas, the geography itself does not allow it. It's not like they're not enough mm. economies. because Farmers, they have machinery. They hire machinery to harvest when, when if the land allows. Yeah, no, but if you have a bunch of tiny plots of land, if you say you have one mm. big plot of land right in in china and then next to that you have the same size piece of land but it's controlled by a thousand small mm. tiny plots so which one is going to be more efficient at growing the most amount of food probably the single piece of land that is all mechanized and modern is going to out produce the tiny little pieces of land that are all disparately unconnected then the key is in ownership right who owns the land who how will they divide the 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 produce Hmm. Um, because I think it's, hmm, everything is not about efficiency. Cause I think for the past few decades, hmm. people thought only about efficiency yeah. and in that whole process, um, hmm. most people did become wealthier, right? The whole uh, GDP went up and all that, but there have also been a lot of destruction along the way. Hmm. China, I think in, in general is a little bit wary of concentrating wealth yeah. or power in the hands sure, of yeah, a few, absolutely. right? So it's safer in a sense that each farmer, they have their own plots of land so that they have control. It's about control. They have ownership of their land so that they won't have to uh, depend on a owner like a landlord, mm -hmm. right, to spread them the few crumbs they have left over. But, you know, that's uh, I guess that's a whole new issue. Right. But I think technology wise, uh, like bigger plots of land, of course. It, well, my main point is it's not about. It's not just about efficiency. It's a lot of times it's about security. I mean, also, I think the demographics are going to change because we're dealing when we're talking about this particular topic, which I think is interesting, hmm. is, uh, you know, people can go back now. Because everyone has a grandma or whatever who still maybe lives out there or grandpa or whatever. Mm. They, have, they have a countryside hookah, right? They can stay on that plot of land. But when these grandparents pass away, if you don't have a hookah from that village and you're living, say, in Beijing or in Shanghai, you don't get to keep that land because it falls into it's you don't have the countryside hookah. So that land is going to pass back into a larger farm. It's going to be rejoined with larger plots of land. So the next generation from now, like 20 years from now, then might not necessarily be able to just move to the countryside. They're going to be tied to urban life. Um, I'm not too sure. Did you read that from somewhere, like some official documents? Or? No, I've seen that personally in my own family, uh, I'm sorry? in my own Chinese family. Here in China, oh, I have okay. seen that this mm. is a reality. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. All right. 
Oh, well, let's move to another article then. This is from Al Jazeera, and this is why do more than 800 million people live in hunger May 23rd? So this that's is, across the globe or this is global. So this is one in 10 uh, people globally. Mm. And this is not um, just skipping a meal. This is people who have, you know, much deeper hunger issues than mm. skipping a meal once a month. These are people who are daily looking for food and two going to bed hungry. Yeah, no. exactly. So this is two thirds of women and 80 percent live in areas prone to climate change. Mm. And I have a map here and a lot of it's in Central Asia, uh, South Asia and Africa and some of the Pacific Islands where places that have been devastated by what you mentioned earlier, climate change, hmm. some of those places are now prone to hunger because the kinds of things that they were growing mm -hmm. are not able to grow anymore. And they don't necessarily know how, in some cases, to switch to other staples that might be more viable inside the new environment that has been created by, by global warming and global climate change. Hmm. One thing I know is there is a group called CIDCA. This is a Chinese institution hmm. and they go to places they send i i'm trying to say the name of it correctly hmm. agronomists hmm. these are scientists who are experts in what grows in what climates and places mm -hmm. and china distributes these scientists and they move around the world to different places to, that are participating in the bri and other south south initiatives under the united nations mm -hmm. and these chinese scientists they will say hey you know what will grow here poplars or, you know, we'll grow here mm. acorns or, mm. you know, and they said they help people uh, and then they give them the technical assistance to d help develop new crops and things. But it's not enough. And also, you know, about uh, Yuan Longping, Grandpa Yuan Longping. Have you heard of him? The gentleman. He's the godfather of uh, rice technology yeah. in China. Yeah. Yes. So he actually, um, from what I remember, he didn't like charge for the patent of his uh, rice growing technology mm. he like gave the technology for free to a lot of uh, countries around the world mm. so they can increase their yield like by far and help to feed more people speaking of this yeah. case this specific case of this scientist in china who is beloved by the chinese population everywhere isn't it possible that through science and technology we will increase our capacity to grow more food than ever before and that these issues that we're talking about in 10 20 50 years might not necessarily be as much of challenge it is possible that because it's possible, okay. but it also depends on who has control yes. of the food. Right. That's the key. That's um, mm. it changes everything. If it's private companies uh, who controls these uh, commodities of food and consider them as just commodities, then I can't tell mm. who knows uh, they could donate. Right. For people who have uh, compassion, right, who really think about the health and survival of humans and other creatures. They might donate their food, okay. but if they only see it as a way to make money, I, then I don't know. Can I interrupt? I've so, been I read a lot about aid. I mean, a lot of different books, maybe 20, just about aid and given aid given to developing countries. And it's actually a really bad thing. It could be. So mm -hmm. it usually is most often used for as, as putting a Band-Aid on things. So you maybe go you find out there's a, a mm. problem in Yemen. So you give a bunch of food, you feel real good about yourself, and then people starve a few months later and you can't give anymore. What we need are governmental organizations and structures that facilitate making sure that all people's food needs are met. 
it's nice for us to give to charity and things, right? But that's not that doesn't solve the problem. One of the great things about the Belt and Road Initiative um, is it doesn't just give aid. It's not like, okay, here's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a million tons of whatever. It's like, no, what we're going to do is we're going to come in and we're going to help people learn how to engage in a new industry so that they're able to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. That solves and problems. build the infrastructure. Right. And the technology. Right. Exactly. We're going to help you. Exactly. We're going to help you learn how to participate in the global network of logistics. And, you know, you're going to have products to sell so that you can buy other products so that you your people are now free from needing aid. And in a way, aid compounds the difficulty. It does not solve the problem. You're giving a person a fish instead of teaching them to fish. And also it's more complicated than that. For example, let's say in this one country, and they had some small farmers who were producing food and selling them in the market. And then all of a sudden, you have like millions of tons of uh, food donated from a wealthier country, Mm. just dumped onto the, you know, into the country. Think about the fate of these smaller farmers, Mm. because these uh, food might be given out for free or, I don't know, like charge Mm. at a price that's smaller, that's uh, lesser than market price. Then basically you've destroyed Mm. uh, the local food production economy. And it's not just about food. Mm. Uh, I think Mm. one case, it was about mosquito nets. Mm -hmm. Like uh, in this one particular African country, of course, they want more mosquito net. Mm -hmm. And they do have like a small factory, local factory producing these uh, mosquito nets. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, there is a whole bunch of international aid Mm -hmm. of mosquito nets. Mm -hmm. And these were distributed. Um, And then these the factories just went bankrupt because they couldn't sell their products Mm -hmm. anymore. And also aid contributes to a governmental Mm -hmm. corruption. Yeah, that's true. In these uh, countries, in in most cases. So it's it's really complicated. And that's why uh, when it comes to the poverty alleviation projects in China, it's it's not just about Mm -hmm. giving things away for food. And as you mentioned, it's about finding specific solutions, like specific Mm -hmm. down to the household, that kind of specific. Like what would work for your family? What would work? What's the path out for your village? Um, You have, maybe they have, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like forests, right? Maybe they can grow mushrooms on there or instead of selling timber, right? right? Or uh, if they're closer to a city, then maybe you can develop certain uh, industries that can, you know, somehow um, create a symbiotic relationship with the city Mm -hmm. because of, you know, so close together. So it's about finding specific solutions and teaching them, giving people the ability to generate income on their own. Yes. Um, But it's... uh, it's a lot more difficult to do. I do want to, I you, you pointed out that aid can be a good thing. I do want to back that up. For example, uh, China sent after a volcano erupted in Tonga. Oh, that's a different last, yeah. last year, China sent two cruisers, like a uh, military or uh, naval cruisers full mm. of ton, like thousands of tons of food and water. And you know, because that's a different kind of, you know, problem. there's a saying in Chinese, it's called, which means you give aid for emergency cases, yeah, yeah, but you don't 
well, not like you give less for people who are just in poor condition because you can't help them. Systemic. Yeah, you can't you can't help them uh, to solve the problem. You have to find a method of helping them generate income themselves. We we only have a couple minutes left. I do want to say there was a really this is kind of off topic, but I think it's cute. So I want to tell this story. This is a Douyin video that I watched a couple of years Mm. ago here in China. Sure. A man got out of his like BMW and there was Mm. a woman begging there and he put in front of her a large blanket and a whole bunch of goods and wares that she she could sell and he gave her a card of where she could get them at almost no cost so they were like and then he helped her understand what the pricing should be 10 minutes 15 minutes later he got back in his car and left Hmm. the doyen video then revisits her a month later and she's still there selling different wares that she has bought with the profit from her the initial investment Hmm. so he turned her into a little shopkeeper basically oh okay so it's a little bit like micro lending in a way like yeah, he but her- he gave her, he gave her the startup for her little shop. Mm, okay, well that's on Chinese TikTok, Chinese Douyin. Yeah, yeah, this was this is Douyin. Interesting. Yeah. See, that's the thing about um, the way I guess poverty alleviation works in the U.S. because I think they, it's just given out in checks, right? Yeah. What do you call it? Well, food stamps is part of it. Food stamps is yeah. part of it. Yeah, it basically just giving money out for free. In China over here, it's uh, people are a lot more sensitive to that. Because the, you know, there could be political issues. I mean, the both two parties in the U.S. fight a lot about this issue, right? Whether or not you should just give people money. And so they, they actually stay home, but maybe don't engage in the workforce. But in China, the point is, you know, to make sure that most people have work and that they can become involved in the economy and become a contributing force. Well, in fact, that is actually the argument that the Republican Party makes. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. Mm. But what they always say is people should pull themselves up at the bootstrap. But what you're Mm. saying is going a step further and saying we as a society should be looking for ways to help people pull themselves up by by the bootstrap. Exactly. You give them a path forward. Yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, for a homeless person, he's already like on the street. If he had a way of making an income, of generating income, I believe they would have done so already. Well, back to hunger. Mm-hmm. Back to hunger. Yeah. I'm hungry, Ashley, back, Jason. Because the- <laughs> did you? <laughs> oh, I am too. Did actually. you hear my stomach? <laughs> back to hunger. You know, okay. in the United States, as a, a specific case, I think you're completely right. It's about greed. It's not about there not being enough. So basically, the United States needs to find. You know, Ill, wages have stayed relatively stagnant and late in the last three years we've had inflation at like mm. nine and ten percent so co- food costs mm. 20 25 percent as much as it did a couple of years ago it's pretty dramatic it is so it's worse now than it's ever been before and we the united states needs to look at you know baby's arguments here today and we need to look at ways to fix <laughs> the systemic problem not just food stamps food stamps are great but they're temporary what we really need is a way to help all people yeah and it does not feel good to be to be hungry. <laughs> I, I'm trying to like <laughs> hold my stomach in so that it doesn't growl. Baby's got to eat. Thank you so much for your time today, baby. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please tune in next time. If you disagree or agree with us or you just want us to read your comments on the air, please email yes. us at we love the bridge at gmail.com. Thank you so much. And thank you, Jason, for your patience. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.